Welcome to Brothers Red, the unique LFC podcast brought to you by five brothers who would walk 500 miles and more for the Red Men of Liverpool. After an ignominious outing in the Midlands, Liverpool responded with an excellent performance against their much improved local rivals in an entertaining and controversial, shall we say, 2-2 draw in the 234th Merseyside derby. Everton have now failed to beat Liverpool for 23 matches over a period of 10 years. So, although we didn't get the win, boys, I thought you might enjoy that statistic. I am, of course, joined by a full complement of brothers. I have Matt, Fran, Pad and Andy with us after the international break. And it's an understatement to say that we have plenty to talk about. Matt, let's get straight into it with you. First and foremost, what I want to say is it was an excellent team performance. We were absolutely on it from the off. There was no hangover from that bad result a couple of weeks ago. We played so, so well and it, and it was such a good response. But unfortunately, I've got to mention it, we were undone by an incompetent and disgraceful VAR system. Obviously, the, the Pickford Kung Fu scissor kick and the Mane last gasp onside, which was judged offside when, when clearly he was level. And we can't forget about Everton's foul play as well. Disgraceful challenge from Pickford and a disgraceful challenge from Richarlison as well. And I think, just to put things into context, I think this, this season already has been decimated really by bad luck. We've had the Ali injury already. We've had the COVID-19 positive um, tests kite to the latest one. And of course now we've had the devastating, awful news of of Van Dyke, Van Dyke's injury as well, which is going to be lengthy and it's going to be several months. The the, the last thing I want to pick up on, and I think the key the the key point now going forward, and, and the thing that's been on my my mind is is can can the defence cope? Can Matip and Gomez remain fit? Can they kind of stop us from from shedding in the goals? Because because Van Dyke is is our best player, and he's going to be a massive massive loss. Yeah, I mean, there, there are so many massive issues to come out of this game, both in terms of the game itself and ramifications for the rest of the season. But going back to the match itself, Fran, uh, Matip starts, Henderson, Thiago and Mane come into the team and we just look stronger all over the pitch. I mean, we're in charge of that game. We were the better team. Yeah, James, I was made up to see the likes of Matip, Henderson, Thiago and Mane all back in the side. If you take Adrian out that side and bring in Ali into the lineup, you'd say it's the strongest Liverpool side. I felt it was sensible to leave, uh, sorry, to bring in Matip back into the heart of the defence after Gomez was pretty shaky against Aston Villa. So I think that was a good decision. Obviously, Henderson back in the side gives us that steal in a derby match. Thiago's quality on the ball. Is you know is always going to help our creativity and obviously having the fab free back up front, it's exciting. Yeah, I mean the th- the thing is we can talk about the positive team performance only for so long because unfortunately you're dragged back inexorably to the fact that the contest was just stained by terrible video and uh, on pitch refereeing pad and it's left us all feeling justifiably as if we were robbed of victory. Yeah, ma- massively. Problem is with VAR, it takes away that moment for you. You know, you have the the euphoria of scoring a last minute derby winner. It's just just been stripped from us. And um... Pad, I was actually in the garden <laughs> celebrating that goal 
yeah, only to come back in. You see, Liverpool, in fairness, haven't really been affected, Pad, have they, by these horrendous decisions in the same way as some of the other teams? I know we've had the odd dodgy decision last year, but it, it really affects the way you, you watch the game as a fan. Yeah, I think I think there's got to be... We talk about it every week and there's um there's got to be major reform because... You know what? What you know? Without getting deep, um, you know, or philosophical, what like what is football? It's there for the fans, and it's it's there for that release. And if you if that release has to be muted or capped or taken away from you, it's just it's just dreadful, and it it does leave quite a sour taste. And especially when there's there's a, there's a couple, and it's been ongoing, and every week there's a there's a new problem with it, and. You almost just think just just rip it up and go back to the way it was. I you know I'm big advocate of all the technology and stuff, but the serious doubts for me because it just keep, they just keep getting it wrong and just mind boggling really. Yeah, Paddy, I would say I'd I'd say to Matt, don't celebrate when Henderson score, which is a sad indictment, isn't it? Now to how football is that you're trying to calm down your fellow supporters. Because just you can never be sure, can you? Now you've always got that moment where you're just waiting for you know twenty seconds after the goal until every, everything's confirmed. It's almost like you've got to score a thirty-yard pile driver to to guarantee the goal, isn't it? And even even that, someone might be kind of judged offside or interfering with the referee. So it's like that pause before the. It's like you you, you take a few pauses before the goal, don't you? I mean, after the goal, just. It's not even. It's not even the result. We can all accept a a, a draw away to a to a good side. The big problem, as we, as Matt referenced, is that we're walking away from that game. Not only have we been robbed of victory, but we've had our or one of our star players, our defensive linchpin, Virgil Van Dijk, crocked. It seems again that can happen to anyone, any time on a football pitch, but. It's just all the more galling by the fact that he's taken out by a sort of maniacal goalkeeper who's diving out with as a scissor tackle and also in circumstances where he's not even shown a red card. So, I mean, it's looking ominous now, isn't it, Andrew, with Van Dijk's injury about how we're going to cope for the rest of the season? Yeah, James, it feels significant, doesn't it? When the news came in today, I just had a, a bout of nausea thinking, what are we going to do for the rest of the season? Um, I think it's significant because Van Dijk is the, the one, isn't he, who offers that structure and that stability in that Liverpool defence. When I think now of the, defense and the um, defensive op- options moving forward, my confidence quickly diminishes. Because I'm thinking Gomez, competent, but prone to the odd error. Matip, again, competent, but he can sometimes appear to be a bit vulnerable. And Fab, again, can do a job, but he's not particularly familiar with that, that role. So I think... Moving forward now, I think we have to accept that Liverpool are going to concede more goals. I think that's inevitable. So what we just have to hope for now is that the front three have their shooting boots on and we almost go back to the old style that Liverpool were playing over the last couple of years where we're just almost outscoring teams. I just feel, James, that we're going to feel the tremor of this injury throughout the season. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's going to be very interesting indeed to see how it plays out. Um, but getting back, back to the match, I mean, it was an excellent game marred by uh, a very serious controversy. But Liverpool looked like the best team, it seemed to me. But Paddy, let's have a look at the stats again. 
as our resident statistical aficionado, Pad, us through the numbers just to see what, what they tell us. Always interesting. Yeah, so um, the 2-2 draw meant that we've got 10 points from the first five games. Everton, like you said, haven't won for 10 years. And uh, the last four games at Goodison um, have all been draws. But I think there was a bit of a shift this time. I think it was a bit more of an open game. And um, the XG, um, it was 1.4 to 2.5 to Liverpool. They were always half a goal ahead. And um, if you look at the timing of the XG when we had our chances, uh, we pretty much created chances um, throughout the game. Our XG line was flat between 45 minutes and 70 minutes. So that just showed that we didn't really create that many chances at the start of the second half. And Everton come into the game as probably the best period. The match in general, Liverpool did dominate. In terms of shots, Everton had 11, Liverpool had 22. And of the 22 of those Liverpool shots... We had 13 inside the box and eight on target. Everton actually had five of their shots on target. And um, just an interesting one, just to probably discuss a bit more about the defence, but Liverpool have faced 25 shots this season on target and conceded 13. That means we've only saved 12. Um, probably probably could look on, look into a bit more of that. We've obviously, like I said, we've been unlucky with deflections and stuff. And the five team we've faced are all in the top eight. So the club of playing teams are on who are good teams and are on good form and I've, I've took the chances. But yeah, anyway, yeah, we, we, we did dominate the game. Um, overall, we had 58% of the, the possession and the majority of the game was actually played in the centre of the park, 48%. Both sides played with a 4-3-3 and the midfield before the game was dressed as, as the big battle. I guess you could, all those six of those midfielders are all like Champions League level um, players all worth 20, 30 million pounds plus. And I think Liverpool did get the better of them. And, you know, you could tell that by looking at some of the other stats, like the passing, Liverpool's passing was 84%, Everton's only 75%. It suggests to me that Liverpool pressed well, but also that Everton uh, played more direct. So if you play a little bit more direct, you're likely to, it's a bit more risky, lose the ball. Um, and you can tell that by the average passing string was only four for Everton, and the PPD was a was uh, was was fourteen. Yeah, they they played direct, and eighteen percent of their passing was was long balls. In terms of corners, Liverpool had five, and Everton had two. It's quite a good stat to show how well we did against Everton because that is a it was a serious threat. They're really good from set pieces and balls into the box, and they obviously scored from one corner. Um, and Everton this season have scored half the goals from set pieces. I think that showed that we did we we kept them up the other end of the pitch and we didn't give away any any, any um, soft set pieces or anything like that. So I think maybe if they had a few more, they might have scored a couple of more goals. Yeah, Pat, it was um it was another high scoring game as well, wasn't it? Uh, four goals in the match, which fits in with the trend of the start of the Premier League that we've discussed. You'll all have noted that uh, there was a thrilling three-all draw between Tottenham and West Ham earlier in the day. It does rather provide more support for the suggestion that this is just going to be an anomalous season in terms of freak results and high-scoring games. And Klopp was actually asked about uh, these sorts of factors in the in the pre-match press conference, and he did suggest, as, as we've discussed in the past, the absence of the crowd uh, and seemed to acknowledge that that can maybe take a little bit of sharpness and and focus off the players, as, as you were saying, Fran. Maybe after playing some pretty good teams and having a lot of bad luck, maybe we can get back on track with some more 
uh, clean sheet, comprehensive results in the next couple of games, which are winnable home games. Although, how are sides doing at home at the moment? We've mentioned, Paddy, that it's an unprecedented season. Are, are teams finding that they're having any advantages from playing at home? It's it's madness at the moment. So if you look at last season stats in total, 45% of games were won at home and 28% of matches had 3.5 goals or more. So basically four goals or more. Whereas you look at this season, that's dropped to 40, but there's been a lot more wins as well. So the in fact, if you look at away wins, is now 47% of the games. So it's actually, it suggests there's more of an advantage to be at home, which is, which is mad. Uh, sorry, to be away, which is mad. And um, if you look at the number of goals, 3.5 or over goals, um, it's actually 49% of the time. So every other game has four goals in it. So it's just everyone's conceding two goals a game. And I had a little look back at um, how Liverpool have fared during lockdown and, and before it, or Project Restart anyway, and our average goals conceded was 0.7, and now it's 1.8. If you just look at this season, it's actually 2.6. But we're conceding two or three goals a game, and it does look like there's a combination of things going on, but definitely the fact the conditions are playing a massive part to this crazy season. Last year, for example, in 11 games, we only conceded one goal. That's how good our defence is and our tactics are. You know, people we have questioned Highline and stuff and the way we play, taking a bit more risk. But this we are the best at what we do, we're the best in the world. And even that team and that defence is conceding two or three goals. It's just crazy. So I think we have to be a bit measured when we criticize the defence because it is chaos at the moment. Yeah, and I think it might it might be a positive to take from an overwhelming negative that whilst we've had Van Dijk in the side and you would the last thing you would want is for him to be out of the side, ultimately we haven't been watertight with him starting. There's an opportunity, uh, as I said, for Matt Eep and Gomez to, to forge a real partnership. And it, it, may, it may well be that the balance is better for, for those two players than it has been, which is really difficult to even conceive almost, than with Gomez or uh, or Matip and Van Dijk. I mean, what do you think, Matt? Well, I was just thinking, actually, it's just, it's just cool. We might need to dip into the transfer market in January, might we, depending on how, how things are going. That could be key, really, to our season, because if we're saying that Van Dijk's going to be out for the rest of the season, largely, then we might need some extra cover come, come January. Who we can bring in during January, I'm not sure, but we might be able to strengthen up the defence then. So kind of almost hope that Matip and Gomez can form that partnership all the way up up into the January window, really. Perhaps uh, beyond Tony Cavani might be available in a in a shock-free transfer. Yeah. Or Colo Torre. <laughs> Colo Torre, bring him back. <laughs> it's... Um... <laughs> It's a it's it's a real problem, isn't it? I mean, this it's let's get back to the match. I mean, it's it's it, there's so many things, uh, as I said, so many talking points that pull you away from the match, the ripple effects of what have happened and and how we feel about the game. But Frank, getting back into the match, we started that game with real aggression and tempo and took a really deserved early lead, didn't we? Yeah, Liverpool looked rampant. We all wanted a reaction from the Villa game. Liverpool started the game with real intensity, but Van Dijk set the tone after 35 seconds when he clattered Rodriguez, which was, you know, a great way of showing the team that, you know, we really mean business today. The goal was a brilliant goal, um, classic, incisive, breakneck speed football from Liverpool. Trent, the ball on the right, feeds the ball inside to Salah. 
There was a nice interplay between Mo and Firmino before Salah plays the ball over to Robbo. Robbo meets the ball with momentum, goes past Coleman, drops his shoulder, slips the ball inside to Mane, who slams slams it into the uh, the top of the net. Clinical finish. Great start for Liverpool. It looked like we did me in business. It was a very business-like performance, probably with a lot of panache as well. But this this incident, this uh, incident with Van Dijk and Pickford, really takes the wind out of our sails. Andy, that challenge on Van Dijk, it goes unpunished. It's a horrendous challenge and it, it's a real travesty that Liverpool, well, don't get the benefit of Pickford being sent off and a penalty in that situation. I mean, it's just a complete debacle, isn't it? It was a clear red card, James. Um, I'd be surprised if anyone would put up the argument that it wasn't. It was just reckless, wasn't it? A complete rush of blood to Pickford's head. All those traits are what we've come to know from Pickford anyway and his general goalkeeping skills. But I thought I thought the more, the more interesting point was whether he intended to do it. I think I was talking to Matt during the game and I thought Pickford did have that insidious intent. I think he wanted to clean out Van Dijk. And I, could, I say that because you could tell by his eyes. He's got antecedents for this as well because didn't he cream cracker Deli Alli last season? And after I think Deli Alli had a, a long period of time on the on injury list because of that tackle. A similar tackle, completely reckless, completely rash. And it's just so disappointing, James, that the, the referee uh, didn't send him off. I think there may be some retrospective action on that, even though that Pickford's managed to sidestep and get sent off. I don't know if you can help me with this, James. I don't understand what that VAR official is doing. He sees that and he must have been absorbed by the offside decision and he must not have turned his mind to that cynical foul. There was a quote from David Coote, who's the the VAR um, guy, and, and he said that he only looked at the offside why is he not scrutinising the challenge? Well, that comes on to my second point then. What what must have been running through his mind is that I'm just going to concentrate on the offside and the, the aftermath is of no no consideration to me. And that's a fundamental mistake. He's, he's misconceived there, isn't he? If he's not applying his brain to what follows. Because we all know, don't we, that VAR should be picking up on decisions which occur after the ball. So you've, you've seen it all before, haven't we, where you know, a player may elbow another, another player off the ball. All those things come within the parameters and within the scope of VAR. And yet it appears, James, that he completely discards this cynical tackle. I don't understand how, um, how, how he's not taken action there. Or, at the very least, why didn't Oliver go over to the screen? This year, the referees, or VAR have been told, let the on-field referee consult the on-screen monitor. Why wasn't he sent over to have a look at that? I, I just, yeah, I'm, I'm getting frustrated about it because it was just such a cynical foul in my view. But the the, the other interesting point is is whether the VAR got the offside correct because, again, Paddy, I don't know if you could distinguish what part of Van Dyke's body was offside because it, it, all, it almost becomes so fine so nebulous that you say, well, surely the attacker needs to be given the benefit of a doubt when it's that close. So the offside rule, so I had a little read before because I'm sad. The hands and arms of all players are not considered. So last year, 
there was a debate about the armpit and stuff. I think the armpit actually is included, but hands and arms are not considered. And if a player is not offside, if he's level, it's clear from the images on both incidents that it's being tested against the arm of Van Dijk and Mane. So it needs to be explained. From what I've heard, the technology is brilliant. Like I'm not questioning about like what they can do. It's the input of the rules. So clearly, the way it's been set up is wrong. It's not the technology. It can pick up the frames and stuff. Were they telling it to measure the line is not clear. Yeah, it's, sc- it's scandalous, Paddy. Just picking up on what you said, James, about the chain of causation. If Pickford goes off, of course we know, don't we, that Everton then go down to 10 men. Liverpool are in the driving seat. And we know what happens when Vite van Dijk goes off. That Then what follows is uh, is the defense, Liverpool defense, Liverpool's defence becomes disjointed and disorderly. And then they then get the, the goal, don't they? Yeah, it's a, it, it's a snowball effect. It's a snowball effect. And, um, I mean, listen, we had a lot of luck last season, which we earned, but we're getting some bad luck this season. But, Fran, I go back to the the referee. I mean, it's, he's the top referee in the country, Michael Oliver. And if you just look at where he is at the time of this uh, horror challenge from Pickford, he's about 20 yards away. So I was looking at it thinking, well, maybe he's not seen it. Um, but then when you actually see the sky angle from behind the referee, he looks like he's got an absolutely clear view. I mean, he's yeah. kind of looking to his right. There's no players blocking his view. Just echoing what Andy said, why hasn't he gone over and took a look again on the camera? Why hasn't he gone over and reviewed the situation? VAR have failed to review the situation. It's so frustrating, isn't it? You can see the frustration. We normally joke about um, wrestling moves on players, but we're all so frustrated and annoyed with the decision. You know, it's just very difficult to deal with and handle. Yeah, and, and the hope has got to be that Liverpool's look is going to change or things are going to even out. Eventually, with the quality that we have, whilst the graph at the moment is up and down like a, a peak of mountains, soon it's just going to be uh, an, an even straight line of victories. And I think we're going to get the victories in the next couple of games and we're going to see a bit more normality. But going back to the game pad, it, I mean, it looked as though Everton really benefited serendipitously for them from the fact that we had to organise the defence, the fact that we'd lost the you know the man mountain Van Dyke, they end up sorry getting a corner, uh, Everton from Liverpool being too high up the pitch, and then I just don't see that happening if, if Verges on the on the pitch, and I don't see Everton scoring that goal from the you know fifty percent of their corners in the match if, if Van Dyke's on the pitch. Yeah, he set the tone like as Fran mentioned before from the beginning, and he's he's such a leader at the back. Um, he's played in every Premier League game for the last two or three seasons, I'm pretty sure. So Matip and Gomez haven't played together in the Premier League for two or three years. If I'm not sure if ever. And they've been thrust into a Merseyside derby where it's, it's, it's chaotic. And Liverpool have lose their way for five minutes. And there's a couple of little things that we see. I think the Richarlison was nearly through on goal. It was a poor pass, but... The line was completely off and he, he, he was through on goal. And then for the corner, as you mentioned just before it, I think James picks up the ball and he plays a 40-yard pass 
straight in between the centre backs and I just froze the image and our two centre halves are half a width of the pitch away. Basic defenders, you, you always say the two centre halves should be five, ten yards away from each other at all times. And they're completely spread and just and just a little bit disorganised be, because of the, the situation and you know the interruption in the game. And they actually recover really well from it. Matip comes across and sees him out and the shot that he takes from is is really, really narrow. And if anything, uh, Adrian should have done a bit better to not concede the corner. And Gomez actually cuts inside as well and covers the space inside. So they recover really well. And then the corner itself, I'm not sure how much of a difference Van Dyke would have made on that one because I, I watched it again a few times and Michael Keane is actually unmarked. He comes towards the near post and that's... Fabino and Firmino are, are those two players. So I don't know whether there's been a switch with Fabino, but those two players, I can imagine, were supposed to be there in, in the in the setup. And he actually just drops in the middle of them. And I think Mina comes through the back of Firmino, which means he can't jump until Keane's got a, a free header. So you, so you probably have lost a bit of organisation there with Van Dijk in, during, during uh, the actual set piece. And the five or six minutes before that led to the corner. So maybe the corner never would have happened. But the actual set piece really looked like it was a bit planned from Everton and, and they are dangerous on that. And we have certainly have got to be on it in the next couple of weeks because people are going to be targeting us now that we've lost that. That He's one of the best headers in the Premier League, isn't he, Van Dijk? So. Sorry, just to add to that, the Keane's header, he got up well, as Paddy said, but he really, he should have parried the ball away to the left-hand side there or, or over the bar. What I noticed, he was like, there was two or three players stood on him. So they, they clearly thought, he's a weakness. Let's put pressure on him. We've pulled it a couple of times. And before the corner comes in, he's kind of like trying to elbow someone away. And it means he's like over to the right and on his back foot. So he doesn't actually set his feet for when Keane headers it. Cause, and that's why he's so low when he's trying to, to parry it. Yeah, the, the only thing I could say in mitigation is that it does seem that Keane's fairly close to him when he makes the header. So sometimes you see that, don't you, where the, the keeper just can't quite muster the energy or the, the power to put it over the the bar. But I think you have to say, don't you, Matt, that that was a mistake by Adrian and it seems to be now a, a common theme and trend emerging from his goalkeeping. I don't know. I think I think the how close it was to him, I think we can give him the benefit of the doubt. I think it's because he's made mistakes. We're probably a bit, bit harsher on him. Uh, I don't know if you noticed as well, he kind of played a lot more long balls instead of playing out from the back. So so he was obviously told <laughs> that if any doubt because of his distribution blunders, just knock it down the field. Yeah, in fairness, Matt, just, just picking up on that theme, after the Villa game, we were obviously worried about the defensive high line and we've talked about Matip and, and Gomez and how well they, they did together. And we talked about... Adrian, and in fairness, Adrian didn't mess about at the back. He didn't make any blunders. He just got rid, and his distribution wasn't always perfect. But at least there was an element of caution uh, in the way he was playing. But again, talking about the Everton goal, dragging us away a little bit from one of the things I wanted to talk about was because bearing in mind the quality of that performance, you know, because you have to you have to recognise that Everton are in brilliant form and actually look like they're going to be possibly vying for a top four finish this year. Liverpool, I think, dominate the game, Matt, because of the return of, you know, Captain Marvel, you know, the Football Writers Player of the Year last season, Jordan Henderson, who's back in the centre of the park. It was a super midfield three on the day, wasn't it? 
Yeah, I mean, I make no hyperbole. The The midfield yesterday was brilliant and I thought they were a lot better, a lot better than Everton. It was so good to have Henderson back. It kind of shows how much we need him, really. There was lots of things I actually enjoyed about his performance, actually, um, aside from his attitude. But I think he's a real driver, isn't he, in the team? I know he's captain, it's obvious, but he seems to just drive, drive us along. And, and isn't it a real shame that it would have been so fitting for him to get that, that goal that he deserved in the dying seconds? And, you know, just to get that 3-2 win would have just been fairy tale and, and kind of well-deserved. Well but that that was actually a feature of his play, actually. He was making breaks and making runs into the box, which were impressive. Only after five minutes he was doing that. I mean, I don't even remember. Salah knocked it to him on the, on the wing and he played like a 1-2 with Bobby. Knocked it wide, wide to Robbo, who passed it to Mane. Mane cut in and he had that header, didn't he? He did a great pass for, I don't even remember the, the, the Thiago shot that went went wide. Um, after about 33 minutes, he he kind of did that great pass as well. And he again, he won the ball in midfield for the, um, I don't know, I don't even remember a couple, couple of minutes later when um, Salah and Thiago did that great, great one-two together and it was a tame shot from Salah. He actually won the ball then, and he and he and he made and he made some great great runs. The start of the second half, he had that shot over the bar, which was which was a good effort, and it was his cross as well for the um, for the actual Salah goal. Something that we're starting to see from Henderson now is is a kind of attack inside, and he's becoming like an all round midfielder. We made we've made these points before actually, but. I feel that defensively we are much better with Henderson in, in the side because he provides that really, really good cover for, for Trent on the right. And I think that's why Everton, I know they, they did unfortunately score the score the goal from our, our right side. But I thought I thought I think we're a lot more solid and there's much more protection for Trent on that right side when, when Henderson's playing. So yeah, I thought it was an absolutely exceptional performance from Henderson. The thing about when Hendo plays, he has responsibility and he's driving the team and he's saying, hang on, you're on that run there. You're not getting past me. Or, you know, he can see there's a gap and he covers and it's that kind of, this is not happening on my watch kind of mentality. And it just instills the same determination and drive in the rest of the team. And again, coming back to what we were looking out for from the previous um, previous results, actually, and performances, there was no wave of Everton attacks where they were just waltzing through the, the press. Although Rodriguez played well, Liverpool were a lot more effective with the press. The midfield was a lot more efficacious than it was in the past. And it's a massive positive, this, because Henderson's playing in that kind of, you talk about his attacking threat, number eight role. The other point I just wanted to draw to, to everyone's attention was how 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 important Mane is to this team. I and mean, I thought he was unbelievable again. It's just the intensity. It's 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 not the it's not the goals or the assists. It's the fact that every time he's on the ball, he's looking to do something. It just gives us that kind of je ne sais quoi. It just gives us that intense brilliance. And I was just I was just looking through some of the stats, actually, just uh, miscellaneous stats in a way about Marnie is that he won three aerial duels, which reminds you how exceptional he is in the uh, Matip won three himself and Gomez won four, actually. Uh, and, and Marnie was also fouled six times more than anyone else, which just shows that he's a constant nuisance. And I think you really missed him uh, a couple of weeks ago against Villa. He's not injured. Henderson's not injured and on a positive note Ali's coming back apparently at the end of this month so there's a lot to be positive about anyway Matt we'll leave the midfield for a moment the midfield seemed to slightly lose its way Andy in the second half in the sense that as Paddy was saying about the stats earlier Liverpool's nil xg 
that sort of period of um, 15, 20, 25 minutes in the second half, Everton seemed to get more of a, an equal grip on the game. Hamas Rodriguez, who had a brilliant, brilliant game in fairness, but he is world-class, uh, was pulling the strings. It was really, I thought, Thiago, who started off a little bit quiet, who just started with the other two to sort of rest control back in that game. I thought, you know, in that second half, Thiago really showed his star quality in the match. Yeah, Jose was the bit of calmness and the chaos. You know, he re- really did provide, I I thought, that that grace, the style, slickness in the midfield. So he was orchestrating the play, playing incisive passes through to the front three and just getting a grip of the midfield and the game. And we've talked about it before, haven't we? That craving from Liverpool fans for the attacking flair in the midfield, that player who's going to drop the shoulder and play the ball quickly forward because our current midfield or the midfield we had last year built in a very um, similar way but Thiago just brings that effortlessness that ease that calmness all of which I think was really impressive I know we've offered so many stats today haven't we I thought a couple of Thiago stats were of significance Um, one of those being that he had 8.4% 8.4% of the possession, which is quite staggering, isn't it? Um, he had 93 touches, which was more than any other player on the pitch. Um, he completed 70 out of his 76 attempted passes. Again, more than any other player on the pitch. So you can see a common uh, trend emerging here. And he had 48 passes in the opposition half. Again, more than any other player on the pitch. So when all those stats are brought together and when on reflection of his performance now, I don't know if everyone agrees with me, Thiago almost now becomes one of the players who must play every week. Now, that's amazing in itself because he's only played one and a half games a little bit. <laughs> and already, already it's remarkable that he's convinced me that you, you ought to have that starting role, which I think is perhaps the best point which demonstrates how happy I was with his performance yesterday, James. Yeah, I think that's a very good point. I mean, I'm happy to listen to to you eulogising about Thiago. But let's just hope he can walk, Matt, after that game because the challenge on him is a leg breaker. And we're, we're, we're lucky, actually, that he's not out for the season. I was just about to say that, actually. You know, for all the um, all his brilliance yesterday, including that that. That great disguise ball to to Mane for 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 Henderson's disallowed goal is dribbling. I mean, he even she even he was even dribbling, wasn't he, in the second half? And so so I think he was enjoying himself. He was taking past players, and you know he even had a few shots himself. And he linked up so well with 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 Salah as well, didn't he? Uh, but we just, we just got to hope that he's not out for for too long. Yeah, the initial news is that it's not it's not a serious injury, but I don't know whether that means he yeah he plays this week. I don't know. Uh, Fran, I just want to very briefly touch on um, the brilliance of Mo Salah because Liverpool do in that second half get back in the lead. It's just Salah at his best. I mean, what what a player he is. Yeah, well, what a finish it was, James. The goal sort of stems from Fabinho slides to Henderson into space down the right-hand side. Henderson crosses the ball. It's half cleared by Everton. And Salah instinctively with his left foot from outside the box fires it into the bottom left-hand corner. It was a great goal, very similar to the goal he scored at Anfield against Leeds. 
It was just a quality finish. Six Premier League goals this season now. 100 goals for Liverpool. What a player. He's amazing. We're so, we're so lucky to have him and um, that debate a bit between, needless debate about uh, who's the better player between Mane and Salah. But we don't need to have that. Matt, uh, unfortunately, rather against the run of play, although uh, Everton always in fairness looked dangerous and did have some chances in that second half. They get an equaliser. I think we just do have to recognise, Matt, don't we, that there's been some reference to this briefly from what we've said in passing, that Everton look a much better side this season. Uh, they've got a top manager. They're certainly capable of challenging for a for a top four spot, aren't they? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think Calvert-Lewin and Rich Allison are real handfuls, aren't they? And I think you, you've seen how Everton are much more compact, but you can see how much of an aerial threat they are as well. That, that second half, first 20, 20 minutes, they were probably the better side. I know um, Calvert-Lewin had, had a miss, misplay shot and also Rich Allison hit the post, didn't he? Which Adrian might might well have had covered. Adrian did save a kind of a Rodriguez shot as well. So they so they did have a few a few chances there, and they did look dangerous. But we 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 made it two one, but we could have made it three one before the goal as well with the Matip header. It was it was an absolute bullet of a header, and Salah even had another effort as well, which which kind of the the keeper saved. But they they managed to get that equaliser, and uh, it was again from our from our right hand side, wasn't it? It was kind of a one two. And and uh, and the full back cap got past uh, Trent and then put a an amazing cross really and I don't think there's much that we you could actually do about about the actual header because it was a it was a basketball type type style header it was more the fact that maybe we could have stopped that one two on the right hand side and I know we've we've kind of discussed this quite a lot and we we've discussed that that right hand side is still a little bit vulnerable. You know, we, we, we even had chances after that that yeah. goal as well, didn't we? So Yeah, I think I, I'd just like to mention Trent's involvement in their equaliser. Uh, and again, not to castigate him, but he's he's brilliant going forward. And he isn't bad defensively, but for me, he really switches off on that goal because I actually freeze-framed the, the position of the, the Everton players as the, as the attack develops. And Dinya is sprinting forwards on that, on that left wing and Rodriguez eventually feeds it into him. But before that point in time, Trent has plenty of time to realise what's going on. He actually turns his body and starts to move backwards towards the wing to follow the run. And for some reason, he just doesn't react. He just doesn't do the very basic thing of sprinting as fast as he can to follow the fullback. And then watch it again. It's unbelievable. I mean, it's not about expecting a very high degree of technical excellence from Trent. Um, this was quite a basic defensive act of following a run. And, and Dinya is so dangerous. Once he was in that position, I think Klopp actually said, didn't he, that before the cross came in, the Everton bench was sort of saying that, you know, this is a goal, this sort of prophetic sort of... Uh, announcement before it got got even gone in because they knew how good Calvert-Lewin is I just I think Trent has to look at himself and just say I need to sharpen up a little bit I take your point and I think he does switch off but equally I think sometimes with Trent because of his the last couple of seasons he's had he's still a young lad he's still learning his trade and each season and each game he's, he's going to get better but I do agree that defensively at times he does switch off I mean, listen, Fran, all of this doesn't matter if Liverpool get the result that they deserve. And as far as I'm concerned, in all but the black and white, 
um, and the records, we won that game 3-2 because that Mane goal should not have been disallowed. Pad, I come back to you. It's a shocking decision, isn't it? And the problem about this is everyone can accept VAR provided the decision can be explained. That decision hasn't been explained by anyone. Just doesn't make any sense, does it? Liverpool gone to Premier League, haven't they, and asked for it. It'll be quite interesting to to hear what they say. I, I don't know if that will get released. We've seen uh, Man United get a pen after the full whistle. Imagine we're getting an... Uh, imagine they overturned 10 goals a goal. The fume across Everton would be funny. It's hard to talk about him without just like hitting your head against the wall because everyone's seen the pictures. I've seen um, referees have come out and said, I, I can't explain it. Pundits have said they can't explain it. The pitches don't explain it. There's got to be a level of judgment. When football came back this year from um, lockdown, there was a goal for Sheffield United where it crossed the line and it turned out the goal line technology hadn't been turned on. And the referees, you know, they, they must have seen it. It was so obvious. It was about a foot over. The linesmen have seen goals like that in the past. Why are they saying that it's it, it, VIR is is black and white. There has to be some kind of judgment. It's a tool to help the referees make a decision. Laws aren't written to be, this is black and white. There's got to be some, that's why we have judges and stuff. There's got to be some wriggle room in order in exceptional circumstances to say, actually, we've got it wrong and we've got it wrong because some like an input to the system or something or like the camera angle because it was really clear from the pictures that he was level. But which which part of his body, guys, is being said was offside? Is it his elbow? Is it his tricep? It looks as though his elbow. I mean, I, I thought that that goal would have been allowed last season. I mean, if it's level, it's onside, isn't it? It just looks level. He's just it's it's a goal. It's you know it's it's onside, and it's just so frustrating, isn't it? That that it's been being chalked off. I think it's the first one that's happened to us really, isn't it? Because City have had theirs. Um, so really, it's our first major kick in the teeth, isn't it? Yeah. The armpit one was bad last year though, wasn't it? Remember the, uh, we had a goal disallowed because of the armpit. I remember that, you know, the goal against United where Divock got munched and then they went up the other end and scored. We we had loads of bad luck last year with, with decisions. How many pens should we have had? I don't even want to say, I don't want to say it's a Liverpool thing. We've had, Good decisions, bad decisions, and it's it's across football. Every team seems to have had it, and it's and it's stealing the headlines each week, and it's just getting really frustrating now. When the distinction's so fine as it was with the the Mane and Van Dyke incident, you would think, wouldn't you, that the attacker would be given the benefit of, of the doubt because every football fan wants more goals. Well, I wouldn't even say wouldn't even say the attacker. I'd say the the on field decision. That's what they do in the cricket. They said the umpire said this. It's it it you can't tell from the pictures. Let's go with the referee's decision. The introduction of VAR was designed to reduce pressure, wasn't it? Reduce pressure by the officials. And clearly, the VAR decisions are becoming the big headlines. And like Paddy said, just to echo his thoughts, the referee sometimes has got to, the officials on the pitch have got to make a judgment call there and then and react to the situation because football is about reactions, isn't it? Whether you're playing or you're refereeing the game. And it's about sometimes taking the initiative and looking at the game and making a decision. And I just thought we were let down with too many decisions. But once again, as we've all mentioned, it does swing around. Yeah, I mean, there's got to be there's got to be some sort of um, clarification of how the images are interpreted because the point here is not VAR. The VAR system 
allows the decision to be looked at and the computer technology gives you the image. The problem here is that the video referee looks at that image and says Mane's offside. So if he is saying Mane's offside when everyone else, almost everyone, looks at that and says he's onside, and that's people looking at it in the context of understanding, believing that they understand how you are to interpret the imaging. That can't be right because no one can actually explain why David Coote, who's the video referee, actually classifies Mane as being offside. Is it because his elbow or his tricep is closer to the line than the hand and the backside of one of the one of you know one of the Everton two of the Everton defenders who are next to him but but there's got to be some sort of provision which says I don't know I mean the linesman looks at it and says we think that's offside then you look at the technology on the basis of what you see can it be said clearly that that player is offside and in this instance I don't think it can and if it can what is the reason they've got to come out and say this is why he was deemed offside, and they haven't done that. Yeah, James, isn't the point about... It's a clear and obvious error, isn't it, when VAR intervenes? I think that applies equally to the offside rule, doesn't it? If you look at the... It's not given as offside in the run of the play. VAR looks at it. I can't see where the clear and obvious error is, enough at least for the decision... To be overturned. The only thing I was going to add is just that David Coots is relatively inexperienced at the top level. Do you know that he's, he was only got promoted in 2018? He's only refereed 30 games, Premier League games, along with 19 more in as VAR. So he's relatively inexperienced. And I just wonder if that played a part because, as we've all mentioned, we can't. No one actually knows what part of Mane's body was deemed to be offside, and we want some kind of clarity on it. Especially when so many other pundits and officials are all saying that that it wasn't offside. It comes back to the problem about you know that referees are interpreting the imaging. It's just a shocking decision, isn't it? I mean, you can maybe you can take one shocking decision, but if if they'd made the right decision, that the referee had made the right decision, the best official in our league head and shoulders, and sent off Pickford, then this would be completely academic. Because Liverpool would have done a Chelsea on Everton and beat them 2 or 3-0. And Thiago would have, you know, done, you know, 250 passes or something in half an hour. And uh, we would have wiped the floor. But I think I think on a positive note, we've had five games now. We've got 10 points. We've got a potential one-third of the maximum points there, which puts us on 76 points if we follow this trait for the rest of the season. So we're not quite at championship level. Uh, I mean, it's not going to be a 100-point or a 95-point season. It doesn't look like it anyway. So I think what's going to happen is we're going to see over the next couple of games that Liverpool are going to get very good victories. They're going to have good defensive performances. We've also got um, the start of the Champions League, boys, on Wednesday. Uh, Paddy, we've got a game against Ajax. Ajax, obviously, two years ago, had a great run in the Champions League. Uh, I don't know if you if you know from your uh, knowledge of European football whether they're in decent shape coming into this game. Uh, well, they won the league last year, but it was very controversial because they, they cut the league short after 25 games. And I think AK Altmar or something also had the same number of points. So they won it on goal difference and it was the season was curtailed. And this season they've won, I think, four out of five of the games. They've started well. 
Um, it's hard to tell with the Dutch league and some of the, some of the leagues that have just got you know a couple of teams at the top winning all the games. But they've lost a couple of players, haven't they? They've lost the lad to to Chelsea and they've lost the lad to United. I think they lost a full back as well to to Barcelona. So I'm not expecting the um the team um that got to the semi final that kind of level. It's it's interesting, you know. They they recruit really well. They've got a good youth system, so it should be a good. They play good football, so it should be a good fun um Champions League tie. To be honest, I think they'll probably play four three three, so they will play quite similar to us actually. And they and they kind of play a passing game, don't they? Like to keep the ball in the opposition's half, and they kind of a lot of their goals comes from 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 the left side, so our right-hand side. So it's going to be quite interesting how we deal with uh, Tadic and how we deal with some of the attacking players on, on, on that right side. And it's always going to be a difficult game anyway, going to Ajax. But I'm hoping... So So it should be it should be quite a fun and entertaining game, I think. Yeah, I mean, um, guys, I know I've talked about being positive in light of the devastating news of Van Dijk's injury. But I'm thinking the players are going to be looking at this and say, you know, we've lost we've lost our man through a horrendous challenge. Let's go and win the league for him. Let's go and win the Champions League for him. There's going to be that extra motivation, I think, with the players to try and do it for Verge. Or, again, in, in Klopp's words, to do it for Verge. <laughs> Guys, thanks very much for joining me this week. Um, hopefully we will reconvene on Wednesday after the after the Ajax match uh, check out our Twitter page Brothers Red 5 hashtag Liverpool have not quite made the start to the season that they were hoping for but it's all to play for up the Reds you've been listening to Brothers Red an LFC fan podcast your host was James Cullen Contributors were Matthew, Francis, Patrick and Andrew Cullen. Music and production by Helen Lyon. The best word I can say when describe this was boom. <laughs>